As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today a longtime student, a true intuitive. So if you're interested in honing your intuition, stay with me. Her name is Amisha Gadiali, and she is an intuitive therapist, yoga meditation teacher. She's the host and founder of the globally acclaimed podcast, The Future is Beautiful. And she is interested where, as I am, this space between the inner and the outer world, where these worlds dance. Her podcast weaves together spirituality, creativity, politics, sustainability. She is here to inspire I can speak for myself. You're here to inspire me personally to locate my intuition whenever we're in contact. And I'm really honored to have you here. I'm thrilled to talk about your new projects and just to learn a little bit more about um, your journey. As a facilitator, you bring people into connection with themselves, uh, with each other and with the earth. You are hosting all sorts of workshops and rituals and private sessions and one-on-ones and mentoring and uh, an online membership community. You are busy girl, busy girl. <laughs> and you also have uh, your own jewelry label, which I love with the tagline, Elegance Rebellion. I love this. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Elena. What an absolute honor to be here with you today. Mm, thank you. Um, I can't wait to tell the story of how we came to pass here. But first, your personal definition of intuition. Please teach my listener and me. For me, intuition is about being in connection with the innate wisdom that we each hold. And it's a deep listening, a listening that comes from multiple channels, if you like, and so we can develop a relationship with listening to intuition from different parts of our body or from our ancestors or from the future. You know, there are, there are lots of, or from nature, there are so many different wisdom channels available to us, if you like. And so for me, what intuition is, is that clear channel of truth that lives inside each one of us. That's well said. I, I, I'm stuck on when you first said, you can listen for your intuition from different parts of you. And I feel like that's an important moment in our conversation to, on which to focus. I can listen from my gut. I can listen from my brain. I can listen from my heart. I can listen from what's happening on my skin. Is the hair standing up on my skin? Can you speak a little bit more about that? Because I think you've had, obviously, extensive experience. Yeah, well, 
I guess that in the in the culture that we live in, there is a desire to simplify everything. So it's like, well, what is your intuition? How do you know when it's your intuition talking to you? And it it always wants to be kind of made into like this simple thing. And what I have discovered in myself is that my intuition has many voices and many ways of communicating to me. And sometimes it might be through a sensation in my heart or something in my inner world that comes through a meditation or through a sensation in my left knee. And other times my intuition might also communicate to me through you or through something that I see when I walk into a room. And what I'm getting at is that we need to be really open and able to listen in multiple ways and in multiple kind of places, both internally and also in what we're experiencing in our life. Hmm. Let's go to that moment when I was teaching over at Tri-Yoga in Camden in London, and you were in my class, and you had a sense that something was going on with me, and you actually approached me after some hesitation and shared with me. I was terrified. I, I, I said some hesitation, slight euphemism. <laughs> I'm always so happy, you know, I I mean, most people know this about me if they've hung with me for any length of time, but I'm, re- I'm so happy to learn. Like, I, I so don't want to be the one who knows everything and is finished, you know? So when you came over, I was like, yeah, cool, let's go. Um, can you tell my listener a little bit about what happened there and how it was playing out for you? And then I'll share how it played out for me. Yeah, and... This story is is fun because it came to me whilst I was writing this extra chapter for my book on intuition for the audiobook version and just realizing how it was quite a strong defining moment. So for me what was happening at that time was that I was being called in to deeper relationship with my intuition. And also with the the sharing of it and the not being afraid or ashamed of it aspects. And I was in a place in that relationship where having tried to silence a lot of this information for a number of years, I was studying with various mystics and, and teachers and things had been opened up and a lot of information was coming through and I was practicing in a way and what happened in that class is really unusual because it's never happened since and um, and it hadn't happened before but we were there for that teacher training weekend and every time I looked at you I saw this one particular piece of information and I asked, and you know, the question is, who do you ask? It's very hard to explain exactly. But I I asked if I could clear it for you. Mm -hmm. And the answer that I got was, you need to go talk to her about it. (laughs) 
<laughs> you and can't, I was like, you can't do this in a vacuum, sister. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, 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 I don't want to. <laughs> That's not happening. So cool. Um, but then that evening, I was with some yoga teacher friends. It was someone's birthday, and and I wouldn't normally share this because I was really in a place of finding it all actually a bit much, like <laughs> all this information. And it was like, suddenly I could see all these layers of reality that I hadn't been able to see before. And there was part of me that was really curious by it. And another part of me that just wanted to turn it all off. And I ended up saying to my, to my friends, like, oh, something happened today. And I saw something. I didn't say what it was, but I said, I saw this thing and then this is what happened. But I'm just going to let that go. And they said, no, 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 you can't. And I said, okay, well, then I'll go on Sunday. And they said, no, no, you can't go on Sunday when a teacher's just finished like a, a weekend workshop and it's the end. You have to do this tomorrow. And so the next day I was in the class and I was really nervous about it, kind of shaking a little bit when I came up to you. And I told you what it was and you were so gracious and you sat up tall and we spent the 30 seconds to, to clear it. I cried for like an hour after that <laughs> I was mm. like I was like just really you know the whole thing was 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 scary and um yeah I think that's that's the only word I can use it it was an initiation um because it was out of the context of where I felt safe talking about those kinds of things which was with one particular group of of people that I was studying with and I felt like it was a push to kind of come out of that space. And then what happened was the next day, you said thank you to me at one point after you had done a demonstration in the class. And I think somebody else had asked a question and you know, so many people's questions really relate to worth. And um, it, was, it was a question that someone had about teaching and you said, you need to talk to Amisha about that. And I just laughed, you know, there was kind of like this, this sort of, I remember that part. Yeah. Like what do I have to offer to this person? And, um, and it's funny because of course I was a yoga teacher by that point. So it wasn't like I, I, you know, was living in a dynamic of I have nothing to offer, but it was almost like this aspect of it was an edge. And then the next day, or maybe it was later that day, I don't know. But there was a girl that on the very first day of the training had walked in and I had looked at her and I had that feeling of like, oh, I know you from somewhere. And on the last day, I went up to her at lunchtime because you'd, you'd said something about how there was somebody you wanted me to to, to work on, work mm. with that weekend. And I remember. That was such a weird feeling too. That was very intuitive also. I was like, oh, they, they need to they need to hook up. And so then I went over to this woman during lunchtime and I said to her, do we know each other? You know, like, where do you live? Like, you know, what circles are you in? And she said, no. And then you looked up from another table and said, Amisha, that's her. <laughs> and, Crazy. And, and, and so we went into, into the room and James came with us. And this, this woman had for about four years, been in a very dark place. She'd been kind of 
with this very dark, depressed energy. And it was something that had, had started after she'd been part of a fire ceremony somewhere in Africa. And I cleared it. And, you know, this was like, I was there without anyone telling, you know, me what to do or or without that kind of support. It was like, okay. And and James was watching and I cleared it. And then she was just grinning at me. And in the meantime, the rest of the group, you all came back into the room and you were, you were having this sort of beautiful moment gathered in the middle where uh, poetry was being shared. And, and so it was very obvious that the, that me, James, and this woman were in the corner. And so for me, that was really challenging because it was also like this thing that I didn't want to be seen by anyone was now seen, like everyone in the group could see that something was happening over there. And then the woman was smiling at me all afternoon and her smile was making me feel really uncomfortable because it was telling me that you haven't been given your gifts to keep them a secret. Like you have gifts so that you can help people and you can help people find and live in their gifts. And we did a a yoga asana after that and I cried (laughs) the entire way through. And I remember you came over several times and you said, you can stop. And I was like, no, (laughs) and I had like puddles on my mat. Yes. I remember such a special Ah. moment when, you know, it wasn't easy for me to accept the, the teaching that you gave me, you know, it's not the easiest thing, but I know it's what I needed. I know it's medicine. And so I tried to be, you know, as open as I could be. And luckily that's, that was your experience because I was working my hardest, but I really appreciated the fact that you afterwards you know upon reading your recounting of that 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 you identified that as a a pivot point really in your work and in your understanding of what was possible and I there's something that I want to say to my listener which is my biggest wish is that we all would stop for a moment and see these important pivot points in our work and in our lives where we're being told something And we have to listen to it. And I would dare you further to, not you, Amisha, but you, the listener, to consider a time when you didn't listen to that intuition and what happened. Um, Amisha, in your book, you've identified nine main principles of intuition. And you go on to offer a slew of corresponding practices. Um, I'm going to name the principles for my listener. And then I have a question for you. Create space is number one. Be open. Embody. Four is be still. Five, free yourself. Six, listen. Seven, connect. Eight, flow. Nine is trust. What was your process for identifying these nine principles? Well, First, I want to just say one thing to you, Elena, about what happened that day, and then Mm. I'll happily share more about this process. Yes. I was very moved by your grace and generosity, and I went away from that class, and I wrote to various friends and people in my community, and I said, 
I'm offering these sessions now and would anyone like to come and try one out and and so that was the beginning really of an entire practice um which has then you know now is my presence mentoring program the one-to-one leadership mentoring journey that I do and we've just finished a cohort of that. I mean, it's one-to-one, but it sits alongside uh, a group program called the Beautiful Leadership Immersion. And I've just been doing the last sessions with people of this three-month journey where we meet every two weeks. And it's such gorgeous work. And I'm so pleased that Mm -hmm. I was pushed to do it Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because I see it opening other people's intuition, opening up their gifts, clearing cultural ancestral generational trauma and being a liberating force in this world and that's why we're here right and so that was a very special moment for me in that and I really want to honor honor you because we need good teachers and mentors to show up for us just in those moments and just you know do the nudge (laughs) and right right I I feel very strongly that I would like to share, I don't normally do this in the middle of the podcast, but I'd really like to share your website right now with my listener in case this is resonating. Um, How how would somebody get in touch with you to work with you like this? It's simply amisha, A-M-I-S-H-A dot co dot U-K. Okay, got it. Great. I would love to hear about these these nine principles and the process of identifying them and the practices therein. Well, so this book was offered to me. And again, it wasn't something that I sat down and thought, I want to write a book about intuition. The, the publisher came to me and said, we want you to write a book about intuition. And I was, I felt a, a full body yes. And then the question, well, what is intuition and how do you explain that? And we had this idea that if we could create principles and practices, then it would be something that was open and easy to digest because I believe that intuition is the most important skill that we can cultivate in this time for a number of reasons from AI coming to living in a time where there's so much polarity and and, and different kind of narratives of truth. And the process for me has been, yeah, I just sat down with it one day and I just asked, you know, what are these principles? And these nine kind of came through that process. And the whole book ended up being written from that intuitive place. I I wrote the book during the global quarantine in March. I was living on my own in a tree house. And it, it was kind of like written sort of with so much happening, like on the outside world. And my father was unwell and all of this, this stuff was happening And so I just had to really dig deep and ask, you know, what is the information that's going to be most useful for people as we're coming out of this pandemic and, you know, that this book's going to come out um, at a time that's different to this one and what will be useful. And so I've tried to really 
make it in a way broader than just intuition because my understanding from my own path is that there's there are things you have to do in order to be able to really cultivate that listening and a lot of it is to do with the clearing and the the creating space and being open and the letting go of of who you think you are or who you think you should be and then from there being able to to be in a space of of stillness and openness and trust and and deep listening and then when you're saying clearing i just want to get really super understanding of what that means when you say you cleared it teach us about that a little bit we are a collection of so many uh, different aspects of information and this information has come to us from so many different sources and some of it is is cultural and some of it is ancestral and in the first 7 years of our life so between the time that we're in the third trimester in the womb and the age of 7 we're in this really open state we're in these um like theta brain waves where we're absorbing everything in our environment and it's because that's the time when we learn the most and then what is fascinating is that, you know, that there's often this sense that as an adult, you're in control somehow of who you are. And, you know, it's about kind of what you learn. But what's really interesting is that conscious mind, the mind, you know, of like, well, I've read this book or I'm, um, I'm interested in this or this is the kind of person that I want to be. That information is actually not what is how you actually behave as an adult and I found this fascinating to understand that 95% of your thoughts come from your subconscious and it's your subconscious that's formed in those first seven years of your life and for people that maybe haven't done you know much of the of the work the average is around 75% of these thoughts are limiting and self-sabotaging beliefs so only 5% of these thoughts come from the conscious mind that you've cultivated and out of the 60,000 thoughts a day that most people have on average 95% are the same as as the ones that were had yesterday and so I find that wild. And for me, it really, it really just, you know, I mean, it, it did blow my mind when I learned that. And, and it made so much sense to me as to, to why people are the way they are. And, you know, sometimes I think you can, you can kind of imagine somebody like from seeing how they behave, like what they were like as a kid quite easily. And there are, certain politicians where it's really obvious right certain politicians certain politicians no names needed where you can actually see this adult version of that kid playing out and so 
I found this really interesting and I found it really interesting that through certain practices, through certain types of work, you can actually clear what's in your subconscious and and then the way that you think is different, the way that you respond is different, the way that you act is different and you can create more alignment with that which you consciously value and that this is possible for anyone no matter what kind of life they've had, how much trauma they have had to endure and you know whatever the ancestral conditioning is as well and you know it's it's a different path for different people and it's a lifelong path but it's possible and the more that we clear away these limiting beliefs and also these cultural ideas of like what's normal and what's acceptable so for me one of the reasons that I cried so much you know that weekend that we were together was because I don't know and you don't have to believe in in past lives or or any of this but there's something in me and whether it's from a past life or whether it's from my ancestors or whether it's from my childhood or whether it's it's from like you know wanting to have an easy life, um, having had immigrant parents and wanting to fit in. But there's something in me that just didn't want to go into like the worlds that are regarded as like woo-woo or strange. You know, maybe there's something to do with that energy of, you know, the burning of the witches, of colonization, of the way that people who have just lived with the innate intelligence that we all have have been persecuted and when I was crying that day as I was moving my body through the asana that was some of what I was releasing that like I was releasing that fear because I knew that I had to do it and that was what I was being asked to do um, with my life and there was a huge part of me that was like, no, 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 no. I want to just work in politics and design jewelry and, you know, maybe teach some yoga, but I don't want to, to look into people's subconscious and have to talk about it. And, and it was interesting because even with this one-to-one work, I was doing it and I didn't put it on my website for years and I never mentioned it in my newsletter for years. <laughs> I, I had such a journey with it. And, and all of this is the, the conditioning you know, and, and that's what can be cleared. That makes sense. It's interesting to feel, having felt you working on that which you identified in me and clearing it. And I really did feel different afterwards. I really did. I have more questions about the book and I'm just going to specific pages now. On page 91, you write about the importance of having adventures. Mm -hmm. I love this so that you can stay connected to your intuition. I know what I feel like, you know, going on an adventure, even here where I've moved to in New Mexico, just going for a day long hike is an adventure where we get to connect to our intuition, even for a 45 minute hike 
talk to us about what it means, what connects adventures and our intuitive faculties? Very simply, we use our intuition every time we make a decision that's out of our normal routine. And so although we might equate intuition to being like making those very, very big decisions about life or seeing into the future or, you know, something that has more of a like mystical quality to it or a very like life or death kind of quality to it. We actually use our intuition all the time. And anytime we use it, we're cultivating it. And adventure is one of those ways that we come outside of our routine. And the example of you being on your hike, you know, you choose which path to take, where to look, you know, all these different aspects that, that then have an impact on the hike that you have. And so it's opening ourselves up to, to freshness and to new pathways of information. That makes sense. I do miss the real traveling, like the full-fledged getting on the plane. I don't miss it so much, but I do see how that those advent those sorts of adventures also really do add it to one's, you know, um, the necessity for intuition because you could take any sort of turn anytime. And to be able to intuit the next right move, the next person with whom to speak, etc. That's something that does come, I feel, with a lot of movement around travel and so forth. Page 128, you talk about how we can learn to correctly identify the voice of intuition or soul, as you say, as opposed to the voice of ego. What would you say to someone who is struggling to recognize the voice of their intuition? I would say that one of the ways to know that it's your ego is that often it's a bit of a dead end. Like your ego is really good at, at revealing like the problems, but not giving you another way. Your intuition is more like a, a friend and will tend to offer a different way of looking at it or some guidance but you know this part is is tricky and it it requires cultivation and you know it is a lifelong journey to to get to know oneself and and that's the path of yoga that we that we keep learning more and and we keep opening more and more but i've i've put some exercises in the book where you can actually start to differentiate different voices that you hear regularly and even give them characters. And then you get a sense of like what one of those particular voices is, is urging you to do, like what that voice's agenda is. And then you have to really through practice understand like what is the the voice of your intuition and there might be different voices of your intuition and and then trust in it but the important thing to remember is that you can be playful with all of this and you're going to get more chances and so you have to just practice 
And then when you say that you have other practices, talk to us about, I don't know if you can, a, a sample sort of practice so my listener can see what that would possibly even remotely feel like. Yeah, so it depends a little bit on the kind of person that you are and how information flows through you. And that's why in the book there are 53 practices and they don't all have to be done and they don't have to be done sequentially. And really it's, it's about finding what works for you. And so one practice that a lot of people find helpful, if you have a specific question that you can sit quietly in contemplation with that question and then take out your notebook and start to write, maybe you even write with your non-dominant hand if that kind of helps you to control it less and genuinely allow yourself to be surprised by what you write on the page. Another one of my favorite ones, because I'm more of a talking audio person, I find that my intuition comes out through me speaking, um, but it has to be to somebody that's a really good listener and that creates like, you know, a really great field of listening where my truth feels very free. So I know who those friends are. And, you know, sometimes I might call them and say, can I just talk this through with you? And I'm not asking them to jump in or to fix anything or to tell me what to do. I'm simply asking them to like, give me the space to listen to myself and with them. And so, you know, talking to a friend, it's super simple, but can be really effective. And then there are like some other really lovely practices. Um, maybe you have an ancestor that means a lot to you. And in my case, my father and Elena, perhaps for you, your mother, that you can ask them and, and listen or go for walks in nature with a question and just hold it very loosely and then see if by the time you get back from that walk, there is just a, a clear sensation around where, what to do, how to act next. It's funny you mentioned our, your father and my mother. I was going to ask you about that next. How have you been? How are you feeling? And how is his influence on your intuitive practices and faculties uh, impacting you today? Yeah, I was feeling into that we were having this conversation today after uh, my meditation this morning and tears came into my eyes as I as I kind of felt this connection because I really appreciate how you've shared your grief and your love um, because I think that not a lot of people do and I have also been sharing a lot about my father um, since he passed because I feel like it's really important that we are able to talk about death and, and honor ancestors. Um, it was really intense what happened and I got back to my mum and dad's house from the treehouse three weeks before he died and I wasn't aware that he was dying this year and he 
And I, I felt like he needed my attention and I was trying to finish the book so that I could give him fully my attention. And of course it didn't happen like that. The book went to print days after he died and I was editing it. I was finishing writing the practices and editing it whilst he was dying, um, like next to him. And so that was a really, a really intense liminal space that we were in. And really it was two weeks before he died and the doctor had come over and I showed the doctor out and I said, do you think my dad's going to die this year? And he said, oh, I think it could be months, if not weeks, if not days or something. And I was like, okay, really? And a week later I had a dream and the dream showed me very clearly that he was dying and, and in a way what to do about it. And after I had that dream, we didn't have any conversations around, you know, with me as Amisha and him as my dad. And, you know, I'm sorry about this. And I, I love you. And I did, you know, I wish I could have done this better. And what do you want for me? And, you know, we didn't have any of those conversations. I, I really just felt to give him space and, and to honor the soul that was bigger than the, the personality this, of this lifetime of, as my father. And, and the only, com wait, yeah. Halt, halt, <laughs> halt, halt, halt. That is a very important highlight. Okay. My listener, I, I'm welling up in here. My throat is getting blocked. I'm not, I'm going to try not to cry. Can you, this is to the listener. Can you heed what Amisha just has said? and see your parent as bigger, not bigger, better, but bigger than their role as your parent, as a soul, as an individual soul. And whether you have a good relationship, terrible relationship, no contact, too much contact, whatever it is, can you just see that soul's path as separate from yours in some way? and allow that soul to be what it is, who it is, how it is, without having so much reaction to it. That I think is one of the biggest gifts of this conversation for me right now. Yeah, and I, I only managed it in the last week of his life. Um, but you still did but it. That's enough, right? And, and it was, sure. it was, you know, it was a week of watching him die. It was like being in ceremony. And, um, mm. and, you know, we were kind of taking shifts like in the room with him. One of us was there most of the time and you kind of have to intuit, like, do I sing? Do I be quiet? Does he need something? Is he hot? You know, like, shall I touch him? Shall I give him space? And so just kind of really, really being there, watching him clear his karmas. And, and the only real conversation we had that week was, um, was one where I could feel that he was, you know, frustrated <laughs> that he hadn't died yet. You know, dying's not an easy process. <laughs> and and I said to him, and I, you know, I never really shared like my, you know, what I did to you that day by coming up to you and saying that. Like I don't do that now. And I and I never do that with my family, you know, especially. And and I said to him, you know, Dad, I keep asking why you haven't died yet. And I keep getting the same answer. Can I tell you what it is? 
And he said, yeah, please. And I told him what, what it was and we talked it through. And it wasn't like me talking to my father. It was like two souls having a conversation that was in aid of his liberation. And, and then that he pretty much went into silence after that. And he, um, yeah. And then he died a, a few days later and it was like watching an ego dissolve and then the soul just took up the whole space and I had the most beautiful meditation after he left his body and I felt a very clear sense of him sharing the transmissions of everything he wanted to teach me that our egos wouldn't let possible and so that was very powerful and very beautiful. And I also had the experience, you know, how people say that when, you know, when you die and your life flashes before your eyes, I got to see, I mean, I, I wouldn't be so bold to think it was everything, but I got to see quite a proportion of his story from birth to death Wow, that was way bigger wow. than the years that I knew about him, you know, and and that's given me this really different relationship with him than the one that I had when he was alive. And, you know, he didn't have an easy life. And some of our karmic kind of bondage was around that part of it. And, and yet he was the inspiration for living from intuition. He was a psychiatrist and a Jungian analyst I grew up with the complete works of Jung in the house. My first job was making tea for his patients. And I spent a lot of time talking to him about intuition. And somehow it's like, I, even with that as a childhood, I still went through destructive teen years where I was disconnected from it. And I still went through that process of having to come back into relationship with it. And of course, as he's dying, I realize like, wow, what a gift, you know, my dad made all his big decisions from coming to England to proposing to my mum, who was of a different religion. This is in the early seventies, lots of things that he did that had not been done before and that were, you know, really very like visionary and it was his intuition that always guided him. And he did always tell me that. And there are many things that he always told me that I just couldn't hear. And as soon as he died, of course, it all just came flooding in, including, you know, things like pensions. I'm like, oh, he kept trying to talk to me about pensions, but I couldn't hear him ever. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm going to pay attention to that. You know, it's, it's fascinating what happens um, and how egos get in the way. <laughs> Yes, of course. My listener in the U.S. pensions means 401k. I, um, I'm just so thankful for this entire aspect of this talk because the, there are several of my listeners who are now going to be faced with parents passing. And instead of making it into a dramatic, sad, awful scenario to have the wherewithal and the foresight to hear what you've just said and I am seeing and hearing all of my own echoes I only had 24 hours to experience that passing of my mom 
But to watch the ego dissolve and to feel the soul take up the room and to and to intuit like when is it time to sing mantras and when is it time to talk and when is it time to just be quiet and sit still when is it time to look away you know that makes the death of a loved one as awful as it may seem at first into something more holier more holy than childbirth yeah it's such a sacred moment in time and I never, you know, I've known it because I was around other people dying, but it wasn't my mother or my father. It was, you know, other other folks. My mom passing, I got to see the sanctity and feel it. So that's a very helpful bit. I thank you for that. Yeah, well, I have been <sighs> obsessed with death for a long time. Um, a friend of mine got killed in front of me in a hit and run when we were 24 in New York City wow. in the East Village. Wow. What? 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 Yeah. I did not know this. What are you saying to me right now? Yeah. Where were you? We were on Bowery and, um, and? we had been out and... Wait, but where? Bowery and what? I can't remember the cross street. I, I know it. Prince Street? No. Was it Prince Street? Um, I'm not going to remember the cross street, um, right in this moment. Down lower? Yeah. East village. Okay. Um, and Barry's a six lane road. And I think, you know, that I got driven over by a four wheel drive pickup truck when I was 21. I did not know this. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll have to skip through some of these stories. Um, oh my goodness. But, but that happened when I was 21. And actually when I was 19, me and Julia, my friend that died, had been in a bus crash in Bolivia where we'd gone 50 meters down the side of a mountain and we'd all survived. So Jules and I had had that experience. And then I had been driven over by a, the truck. And I mean over, I don't mean hit. I mean like the guy was so drunk that he carried on driving so I, I had to dig deep into my spirituality and also healing um, in order to heal from that. And then when I was wow. in New York, I was visiting her and I was crossing all the roads at the crossings because of having been driven over by a truck. And she was being more New York about it and kind of, you know, jaywalking. And, oh dear. and then... Oh God. What happened was that night we'd gone out and we came back and the taxi, the cab parked opposite her house. So six lanes away from her house. And we got out of the car and I just started walking towards the crossing, which wasn't very far. And she, she, and she just, started walking across the street. Yeah. And, um, <gasps> oh my God. a kid had just joyrided his dad's black car and was driving at 50 miles an hour and oh my hit her straight on. Oh my God. And that meant that at 24, not only did I have to learn a lot about, you know, guilt and karma, um, but I, I really needed to understand death and I needed to know like, where had she gone? Why did this happen? Why was I there? Um, and so I spent a lot of time learning about death and understanding it. And 
it also meant that I was you know I wanted to talk about it all the time and obviously a lot of other people in their 20s early 20s don't want to talk about death and so that was a whole process but it's also meant that people come to me about death a lot and that it's something that I'm you know I'm really interested in that I've studied a lot that I really try and understand so I was really 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 grateful to have been able to be there uh, for that moment with my father and you know and and yeah and to to trust in that process and to let form change you know and of course I miss my father but I know that it was his time and we're still in relationship and actually he is more supportive now than he was when he was alive because he <laughs> there's more of him you know it's interesting how that works I, I've spoken with several of my peers who say the same and it's not that I'm not happy my mother's gone I'm not happy she's gone I wish I could call her right now and just celebrate some things but I do get the sense of your father, my mother, now that they're free from this body, they're non-local, they can be extremely supportive because they can trust and see that we're fine here Yeah, without them. Which brings me to my last point, which is I often think about this uh, with regards to my own kid. And almost every day I practice when I do yoga nidra, which happens almost every day, I practice letting go of my body, trusting that he will be fine if I were to just pass on today. He would be perfectly fine. It would be super, super sad, but he would be fine. And I think about how I could help him in that other form. Ooh, I get so excited about that. Mm. You know, like, okay, if, if and when I'm ready. I'm weirdly ready. So thank you for that. Yeah. I um I just want to leave about two minutes open for you. If you have anything that you feel called to add to this before we close. I feel that where I am in my life right now is in a place of trust. And intuition is one of those tools. And our intuition is really a part of our intelligence. And it's become something else in this culture. And the analogy that I've been, um, has been coming to mind recently is, is that if we were suddenly told that we were no longer allowed to use our right foot and we just hopped everywhere on our left foot because that was normal when we had a perfectly good right foot and that just became the cultural norm, how strange that would be and what a waste. And that's the equivalent of what we've done with our intuition. It is an absolutely normal part of every human being. We all have access to this intelligence and the world needs it, you know, all the work that I do with the future is beautiful and, and this inquiry into 
you know, what it is to be human right now and, and how to show up. I believe that the wisdom that we're looking for that, that is going to guide, you know, us towards a beautiful future is here and it's in all of us. And it is up to us to come into a direct relationship with our intuition so that we can show up for the collective healing. And I wonder if I can just read you a tiny bit from the book. This one part, which is called Evolving Through Trust. Often in life, we meet the same kinds of challenges in different disguises. There is a powerful analogy of life being like a spiral staircase. You are climbing up the staircase and you see the same wallpaper on the walls but simply from a different viewpoint. It's not the same, yet it is familiar. Your challenges can feel like this. I thought I'd already resolved this one. Ever had that kind of feeling? There is a fine line between getting stuck and repeating patterns unnecessarily and evolving through the pattern so you understand it differently each time. Trust allows you to hold where you have come from and where you are going, all in the present moment. It allows you to live with courage, resilience, and sovereignty. Trust means that you connect to a happiness or sense of peace in yourself that is not dependent on circumstances. You are able to trust in who you are, why you are here, and what you are learning. You find the simple pleasure of being you, whether it's a quote-unquote good day, quote-unquote bad day, or a really mediocre one. Your life isn't waiting for certain things to happen in order for you to be happy. You have cultivated a sense of joy, purpose, and trust in your life from your intuition, and that makes every day count. From here, life's mystery is an exciting place. You don't know what's going to happen, but you trust in your role. Your intuition will guide you to do whatever supports your truth. This takes the fear out of life and worry out of what will happen and instead opens you up to living life beautifully. As you do this with true humility and grace, you will be a sacred activist, stitching your threads into the weave of our beautiful future. Wow. Those are words you feel in your cells. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your intuition. Thank you for coming up to me that day. <laughs> Thank you for all of this, truly. I'm so, um, I'm really touched. Let's say that. Very touched. Repeat it for us once again, your websites, places where we can find your great work, please. Thank you, Elena, and really thank you for everything that you do in this world and, and the way in which you do it. It's very beautiful work. My website is www.amisha.co.uk and you can find out there information about the book and um, there's some really beautiful gifts that we've put together for people that go in and want those and um, with the book and you can find out how to join the beautiful leadership immersion and presence mentoring and 
one-to-one sessions and retreats, all that kind of stuff. And, and then my podcast, which is, to me, it's more than a podcast. It's really a call to the leadership that, that we need at this time, which is deeply human and it's the future is beautiful and the website is www.thefutureisbeautiful.co and we have over a hundred episodes and they are deep each episodes in a way it's it's a, a bit like a ceremony of sorts and there's so much wisdom that's been shared on there and and we go into all the difficult conversations climate breakdown racism all of it but from from that point of of like heart space rather than headspace yeah mm. thank you for that amisha i look forward to listening to your podcast too on my next walk alone and thank you for being here today i'm sending you so much love and more soon my absolute pleasure thank you Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.